The founder of the Hillsong megachurch, Brian Houston, faces a court in Sydney this week. He's charged with allegedly failing to report sexual abuse offences committed by his late father in the 1970s. Mr Houston has pleaded not guilty and denies the allegations. Earlier this year, he stepped down from leading the church for unrelated reasons. Whatever the outcome of the trial, though, Hillsong's global empire is in turmoil, especially following a series of controversies involving church figures in the US. So what's the future now that the founder is gone? El Hardy is the author of Beyond Belief, How Pentecostal Christianity is Taking Over the World. The church is in turmoil. A lot of people that I've spoken that sort of stopped going have talked about being embarrassed to say to their friends that they're still going there. And I mean, one of the strengths of Hillsong is potentially turning into weakness now in that it had such a distinct style that was also quite easy to imitate. So there are a lot of Hillsong style churches out there. So if you really like that style of worship, you can still sing the Hillsong brand songs and go to a similar kind of worship service. And you don't have to tell your friends and your co-workers that you go to Hillsong anymore. So a lot of people have stopped going either um, because they are just fed up, basically, with with all of the drama. Uh, They really want to keep their spiritual place separate. But also, yeah, just sometimes for social reasons. What is now the formal relationship, if any, between Brian Houston and his family and the Hillsong Church that he founded? This is a $64 million question. Look, I, I think... Essentially, I think everyone's keeping their powder dry until after the court cases are resolved. But Brian and Bobby, they resigned, um, even though that's in some contention, back in March. And they have no role in the church now. And what is interesting is that Brian and Bobby in recent weeks seem to be potentially understanding that they've lost control of what they considered their church. Congregants will tell you something else. They say, no, it's a community asset. It's our church. But there seems to be some recognition. They they launched a, a series of sermons. Brian w- was basically preaching to old friends in Sydney over several nights. They've been very active on social media. Bobby has been uh, trying to relaunch her colour events, which are girls, sisterhood, you know, weekend events and sort of a club. She's trying to relaunch that outside of the Houston Empire. They've got their own website now. And probably quite interestingly, it does seem that they've sold up some Sydney properties and there's a lot of very strong rumours and indications that they might be looking to move to the United States, potentially to make a, a fresh start whatever the outcome of the court cases. Now, this is fascinating, Elle, because the United States is seen as the place where the comeback works, the redemption works. Does Brian Houston, who has spoken defensively but passionately saying, look, I'm not addicted to prescription drugs, I'm not an alcoholic, just how open is the United States as a place to this kind of redemption? There certainly just is much more of a reception to that in the United States. It's just a much more evangelical culture. There is a wider acceptance there that you can sin and repent and, and try and come back. Also, it appears that Brian's closest friends and allies are in the United States. Casey Treat, who's a quite successful Seattle-based pastor, is still very close to him, has been supporting him throughout. So he certainly has more of a support network there. I think it's pretty clear in Australia that, that the Houstons have lost a lot of former friends and allies. The split, you know, in the church has been very messy. 
And yeah, it just seems like the centre of their world is probably moving towards the United States. And culturally, I'm not sure if they'd be too successful if they relaunched a new kind of Hillsong in Australia. Let me read something that you wrote not so long ago that I thought was very insightful. Hillsong is in crisis, but you say Australia's greatest cultural export. Pretty big claim, but you back it up. 131 churches in 30 countries, 150,000 weekly congregants, 50 million churchgoers singing their songs each week and over 3 billion YouTube views. How does an empire like that that seems very solid, fall? This is a great question. When you build an organisation, particularly a, a faith-based organisation, on charismatic leadership, and you know, this is small C charismatic, not in the sense of the Holy Ghost, but just that the most charming people from the, the Hillsong Education Network and just from within the church were getting to the top. That also you know, has a real flip side if it goes wrong. And it really did. I mean, the Carl Lentz scandal really, really wounded the church. He was the celebrity preacher in the United States, very famous for bringing the pop star Justin Bieber into the church. All sorts of NBA stars used to walk around with his shirt off, tattoos, was the hipster preacher that really made Hillsong famous in the United States. And his downfall from having um, affairs, that's really just destroyed the church in the United States. And I'm still not sure if it can really come back. Quite a lot of pastors uh, defected when that happened. I think it was nine out of 16. And there was uh, wrangling and legal issues over property and, and the Hillsong College, which is a huge money spinner over there. So that really started the rot. If you strip away all the infrastructure of a church like Hillsong, not just its buildings, but its financial empire. Could it rebuild from nothing? Because essentially that's where Pentecostalism did come from. It came from incredibly humble roots. Is it now too use to, if you like, the accoutrements of prestige? I think that modern Pentecostalism, the neo-charismatic movement, actually really came from some pretty considered guys, particularly C. Peter Wagner in the United States, who had studied Weber's sociology of routinization and understanding leadership styles. They were really big on churches like Hillsong that weren't trying to, you know, make it like McDonald's, make these mega churches into sort of a production line where you always know what you got. They wanted those almost rogue figures like Carl Lentz who just brought people along with them. And that's been one of the really powerful things of, of what we call the neo-charismatic Pentecostal movement. So this real new wave that emerged, a uh, third wave that emerged in the 1980s. And yeah, this is really putting it to the test. Are people going to want a cookie-cutter version of Hillsong? That's hard to say. I mean, attendances are really down in Sydney as well. To be honest, I, I think it's probably just going to be something of a slow bleed from here. Perhaps the music goes on. The musical empire is really strong and popular. But again, there are all sorts of imitators. If a lot of negative stuff comes out, people might just quietly move to Bethel music or something that's just a bit less trouble. One of the really powerful things about this third wave of the Pentecostal movement is that, that people are really there for the uplift. Mm. They're really going to leave their problems behind on a Sunday to sing, to feel good, to feel good about themselves, to feel good about their faith. And then, you know, go out for lunch with their friends afterwards. If Hillsong's reputation is really going to be muddied, so much relies on that brand power. 
Yeah, I'm very taken by an observation that you made, which of course contradicts a lot of the cliches about Pentecostal Christianity. You say the average Hillsong mega churchgoer is likely to be an upwardly mobile woman, millennial or younger, with an interest in social justice and feeling good about her faith. What happens to a person of that profile when the institution that they've trusted for several years seems to crumble. What happens to their faith? It's interesting um, because we don't see something like this come along so often. One of the parallels I've looked to actually is in South Korea. Seoul is the megachurch capital of the world. There's at least 20 megachurches in the Seoul metropolis and they're they're very Hillsong-ish, shall we say. They're very third wave, neo-charismatic Pentecostal. So great music, feeling good, big crowds of people. A lot of their biggest churches went through huge scandals to do with um, financial, moral failings, sexual impropriety, those sorts of things from their pastors. And one of the, the interesting things that came out of that was a lot of people started to reject megachurches. They might have had a Bible study at their church and people left en masse and, and they started doing what we call house churches and cafe churches and just sitting together, a group of 10, 10 friends that used to go to this church and then just couldn't bring themselves to go there anymore, sitting down at a cafe on a Sunday morning and doing Bible study together. So I'm starting to wonder if, if we may see something like that. I mean, the other thing is that it has Hillsong's problems have coincided with the pandemic. So people have become more accustomed to, to getting the church online. Elle Hardy, she's the author of Beyond Belief, How Pentecostalism Took Over the World. And in our first of our summer season, you'll hear our extended discussion with Elle about that new book. Elle, thanks for coming back to the Religion and Ethics Report. Thanks for having me. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.